Well, hello again. God bless. Welcome back to the Bible teaching channel of A Love Outreach. My name is Dave Nelson. Thank you for joining us here today. Appreciate you being here. We are going to go ahead and take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We've been kind of walking our way, talking our way through the book of 1 Corinthians now for quite a while. I just kind of jump on here whenever I get the opportunity and go ahead and work our way through uh, this book here as well as the book of Proverbs and other teachings as the Lord leads. But Today, I'm going to go ahead and jump on into this chapter. So if you are in a position where you can do so, as I always encourage you to do so, please follow along with me. Grab a Bible, open it up on your, um, you know, go to BibleStudyTools.com. It's one that I use. Blue Letter Bible is another one that I use. You can go on there and, and just read along with me as we go through the scriptures. So, Without any further ado, as they say, I am reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, starting in verse 1, where it says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So now the Apostle Paul, as he wrote this letter to the believers in the city of Corinth, the Corinthians, as the book is called, um, he was dealing with them about the way they were operating in the spiritual gifts, things that were taking place and the problems that they were having. That's what he's kind of dealing with here in this section of this letter. And in chapter 13, of course, he pointed them back to love, the most important thing. He said, you know, it doesn't matter what gifts you have. It doesn't matter what you can do. It doesn't matter what you sacrifice if you don't have love. Love is the principal thing. It is the key thing. Now, it's important that we understand, especially in today's day and age, right, um, that there is different kinds of love. The Bible speaks of agape love, for example. Agape love is God's love. It is an unconditional love. It is the purest form of all love. It is the kind of love that caused God to so love the world that he would give his only begotten son for us so that we might have the opportunity to be saved through faith in believing in Jesus. That's God's love. That is the greatest gift of love, okay? That was the greatest love outreach of all time and the greatest love outreach that there ever will be, okay? So agape love. And then we have brotherly love, phileo, right? Where like we get Brotherly love, the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, right? Phileo. Uh, and that word speaks of a, a love between human beings, and we should love one another with brotherly love, okay? And which, you know, we'll be led by the Spirit when we're loving one another, kindness and goodness and all of that stuff, caring about other people. And we're going to see that as we go through this chapter here. Another type of love which people confuse today, uh, you know, with being love, what real love is, and that is um, eros. It's the Greek word eros, right, which means um, erotic, where we get the word erotic from. So when they talk about love today, in the world and, and they use it to say love is love and all of that kind of stuff. That's not the kind of love that 
the Apostle Paul is talking about here. Um, it's not agape love, nor is that phileo, brotherly love, that the kind of love that the Spirit of the Lord would lead us in to love one another. Okay, so don't be confused about what love is, okay? Because when we, for example, as a ministry, a love outreach, we are talking about the love of God. We're talking about God's love for us. And then we also study and we read in the Bible about that brotherly love, how we are to love one another as children of God, those that are born again believers, but also as just human beings on, on the earth, loving our neighbor, you know, as ourself, as Jesus commanded, and, you know, taking care of and looking out for other people with kindness, okay, and goodness, and like I mentioned earlier, okay? So anyway, the Apostle Paul says, pursue love. And this is the kind of love he's talking about. Desire spiritual gifts, though. He don't, he don't want you to throw the spiritual gifts aside. He didn't want the Corinthians to do that. It wasn't just the apostles that had spiritual gifts. This was, you know, passed on to all believers, okay? And those in the city of Cornworth, in the church, as they gathered together, they were operating in spiritual gifts, but Paul was, Paul was noticing that they were abusing it, and they were, it was confusion, in many ways, the way they were doing things, especially speaking in tongues, in which they were, you know, really focused on, you know, in this particular church gathering here. And it says, desire those spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, what is, how does the Apostle Paul um, define what prophesying is? Well, he goes on and he says, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So there's a definition of what's happening when a person is praying in an unknown tongue, right? And it says right here, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. So Paul affirms that when a person is praying in the spirit, he calls it here, or praying in tongues, that they're speaking mysteries in the spirit and no one is really understanding them. Okay, but he says, and I want to come back to this. There's going to be more spoken about tongues here in this chapter. So I'm not ending this, but I want to move on to verse three where he gets back onto prophecy, right? And he says, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. So speaking edification, exhortation, and comfort to men is how Paul is defining prophecy here. And this is something obviously far better than a person just speaking in an unknown tongue that no one comprehends or no one's there to interpret and Paul's going to address that. But, you know, this is, this is better. Why? Well, because this mixes love with spiritual gifts when you're edifying someone else, when you're exhorting someone else, or when you're comforting someone else, as we see here in verse three. So that's a good gift. That's what Paul's saying. This is a gift you really need to pursue. This is what you need to make the number one priority. And this comes right on the tail of chapter 13, as we come out of chapter 13, where he says, love is the more excellent way. 
It's the best way. So now we see how to put into practice love, right? That is through edifying others, exhorting others, and comforting others. This is the way that especially in the church, the body of Christ, we should be operating. This is the way we should be doing things. Now he goes back to the tongues. He says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. So now we see something else about praying in tongues. One, it's a spiritual thing, speaking mysteries, speaking to God. Two, we also see that you're edifying just yourself in that. Okay? Is it wrong? Is Paul saying, telling them that speaking in tongues is wrong or speaking in tongues needs to stop or whatever? No, that's not what he's saying to them here. But he's, but he's emphasizing something here in the second half of verse four. We see it again. But he who prophesies edifies the church. You're edifying the whole body, others around you. And how are you doing that? You're speaking edification, exhortation, and comfort. That's what you're doing when you're prophesying as the Apostle Paul is speaking of it here. Now, verse five, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So in other words, if we're gonna see an, if we're gonna see an interpretation of the tongues, that these spiritual mysteries, as, as, as someone is praying in tongues and speaking to God, if we're going to see a, an interpretation of that, so that what happens when you interpret it? Well, now everyone else can be edified. Everyone else can be exhorted or maybe comforted, right? And that's what Paul's pointed back to. So, Anyway, let's go on, verse six. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Look at that. Look what the Apostle Paul is concerned with here, which is what you and I should be concerned with in the body of Christ, profiting others, benefiting others. He says, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching. So he's saying there's got to be something that you understand, like a revelation that can, can come to you, where you can, and knowledge, right, where you can grow in the knowledge of the Lord. And you can understand, uh, you know, or be taught, like he says here, or by prophesying, which again is exhortation, edification, comfort, or by teaching, right? Which is like what I'm doing here. I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to show you the word of God, right? So that you can read it yourself, understand it, grow in the knowledge of the Lord, understand the will of the Lord for your life, okay? He says, verse seven, he goes on, he says, now even things without life, whether flute or harp, so he's talking about like a musical instrument here, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in sounds, how, it will, be, how will it be known what is piped or played? So he's giving them an analogy here. And then he says, for if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for battle? Okay, again, just an analogy here. Okay, if, if you're used to hearing a certain sound, 
like a trumpet, for example, that, to get ready for battle, and but yet it made some other sound, people would be confused. Well, wait a minute. Am I supposed to get ready for battle here? That didn't sound like the trumpet, right? So he goes on, so likewise, you, unless you by, or unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how, it will, how will it be known what is spoken? For you'll be speaking into the air. That is to the hearer, right? You're going to be speaking in the air. I don't know what you're saying. You don't know what I'm saying. If I'm praying in a tongue in your presence, what good is it? What good does it do? Unless I'm going to speak edification and exhortation or I'm going to teach you or something like that, right? Or I'm going to speak revelation to you. So there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages. Now look at what the Apostle Paul is associating tongues with. He says, there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them are without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. So the Apostle Paul, again, is using an analogy here to say, look at all the languages in the world. If you don't speak a certain language, I don't speak a lot of languages. I speak English, okay? Know a little bit of Spanish, but would never embarrass the Spanish language by saying I speak Spanish. Um, but anyway, so if someone came to me speaking in a language that's just totally foreign to me, like Russian, for example, and they're speaking that language, I mean, I get nothing out of it. I'm sorry, you, you need to come up with an interpreter if you're going to talk to me in Russian. You may be trying to plead with me. You, you may be trying to teach me even. You may be trying to show me something, instruct me in something, tell me that you need help, but I'm sorry, I don't understand it. I need an interpreter. So even so you, he says in verse 12, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. In other words, use a spiritual gift that's going to edify everyone else, that's going to benefit others. That's what you need to be doing. That's what you need to be doing. You need to be edifying others others around you. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Look, I've nev I do speak in a unknown tongues. I do speak in tongues. It's something that the Lord gave to me early on in my Christianity that I still utilize, that I still do, but I don't do it in front of anyone else because I don't have the gift of interpretation. I have no clue what is being said, um, so I, I cannot interpret it. I'm just speaking to God, speaking things that are mysteries to me. I don't know what it is, but I know that I'm building myself up, I'm edifying myself when I do that, and it often happens in my life. Uh, you know, it happens a couple times, to be honest with you, when I have like complete joy overtake me, you know, I'm just the joy of the Lord overtakes me and I'm praying and I'm, you know, I'm just seeking God in prayer 
and I begin to pray in tongues. And then it also happens at very low points in my life where I don't know what to pray and I just cry out to God in an unknown tongue. Okay, so anyway, but if, you, if you're going to speak in tongues, if you don't interpret it, just be quiet. You don't need to do it. Okay, for if I pray in a tongue, he says, my spirit prays in verse 14. But my understanding is unfruitful. That's just what I was saying. I have no clue. I have no clue what I'm saying, but I know that my spirit is praying. And it's like I said, for me, it's kind of like a bookend type thing. It's in dark times. It's in very, very joyful times that I will, that I will pray in the tongue. Okay, so then he says, what is the conclusion then? I will pray in the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. So here's this church that's gathering. They were praying in tongues. People were coming in. People didn't know what was going on. They didn't understand what was this. If And Paul was kind of warning them to that. Hey, this, you know, someone might walk in and not even know what you're doing and they'll think you've gone mad doing this kind of thing, right? But yeah, he's not discouraging it to the church, to the body. He's saying pray. Yeah, pray in the, pray in the unknown tongue. Um, but also, excuse me, pray with the understanding as well. Look what he also says, sing with the Spirit. And he says, I will, I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. So you can sing in this tongues as well, because you're, it's a, again, it's this thing that you're just not understanding, you're just doing. And he says, otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit... How will he how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say? So no so in other words, he's saying we want agreement in the church. We want unity in the church. We want the body to function together and come together and be able to say amen meaning amen to what the Lord is doing in your life. Amen to how you are edifying and exhorting and comforting someone else. Amen to that. But if you're doing this in the spiritual language, these tongues, right? You're doing this in the spirit, as Paul calls it here. Who knows what you're saying? For you indeed give thanks well, but in the... but. The other is not edified, so he's equating speaking in tongues with giving thanks, okay? But again, how is this edifying someone else? He's telling them, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. So Paul's saying, yep, I do it. He recognized that they did it as the body. It wasn't just him as as an apostle that did this. It was the body of Christ that had this gift as well. But they needed to learn that what good is this if you're just, it becomes babbling, right? You know, like a, a clanging symbol, as he said in chapter 13, you know, just something that just doesn't make any sense and it's not even good to hear. And Paul says, yeah, I speak in tongues, probably more than you all, he says, but yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. So you see that? You see the edification, the exhortation that comes through teaching someone else? 
reaching out and teaching someone else with something that they can understand in a language that they can understand. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. So in other words, be understanding about the needs of others around you. That's what he's saying here. When you're in the church, understand what someone else needs. You come up and you offer a gift that you're going to bring. Let's say you're the teacher. You're a Bible teacher on this particular Sunday when you're gathering at church or whatever night you may be gathering, even in your house in a home fellowship or whatever, and you're going to teach something, right? Um you know, know that you're there to, to give something good to somebody, to edify somebody, someone else. And understand that that's what you're here to do. Same thing if you've got a musical gift that you're utilizing in a gathering, right? And you're, you know, using that gift, you're singing or you're praising the Lord, you're leading others in praise. I got a sneeze coming on here, I'm fighting it. Ah, but anyway, I'm not going to edit this video, so you get what you get, right? <laughs> so, but so when it comes to doing malice, when it comes to doing wrong, be innocent. Don't be that person. But when it comes to being understanding that you're in a setting, you're in a place where, where. As the body of Christ, we should be edifying one another, exhorting one another, comforting one another, and all that. Be mature in that way. Be mature. He says in the law, in verse 21, it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, he says, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Okay? So now, look at this. This is interesting here. You remember in the book of Acts, if you've read the book of Acts, chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit descended upon the 120 that were gathered in the upper room. Again, it wasn't just apostles. There was 120 of them. The Spirit of the Lord come upon them. Flaming tongues, it says, came upon them, right? Descended upon them. And they all spoke in other tongues. And what did they do? They went out into the street. And in this case, and in this situation, there happened to be people in the streets who were from all different regions of the world, you know, you know, around that area at least, right? People that were, spoke all different languages. And these believers in Jesus who did what Jesus commanded them to do, they went to the upper room and they waited. They were filled with the Spirit. The tongues came upon them. They went out and they spoke. And now they were speaking in a way that there were people who did understand them because there were people there that understood the languages that they spoke. And this was a sign, just like Paul says in verse 22, to these unbelievers because they said, wait a minute. 
These people who don't speak my language, I know they don't speak my language. They're speaking my language. They're edifying me. They're exhorting me. They're telling me, it says in Acts chapter 2, they were speaking the wonderful works of God. And the people who knew that person does not speak my language. They're a Galilean. They don't, they don't speak what I speak. But yet they're, they're doing this. So this was a sign for those who needed to hear that language. Okay? He says, but prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. So when we're gathering in the church, in other, word, Paul, in other words, Paul is saying here, Speak something that edifies somebody so that they can understand what you're saying. Speak an exhortation to them. Speak in exhortation, right? Comfort them. This is what you should be doing. They speak your language. You speak their language. Speak it. Okay? Now, the good thing is, is we all have the ability to learn another language too. For example, let's say that you feel called in your life to speak to a certain people of a certain language or you feel that the Lord has placed it on your heart to learn a certain language. Well, you have the ability to do that, especially in this day and age. It's somewhat easy, right, to at least from a book learning and a reading learning standpoint to get on and, and on the internet or buy an app or you know, do something that lets you learn a language. And then what you then what will you be able to do when you do that? Well, you'll be able to sing in a way that they understand. You'll be able to teach in a way that they understand. Edify them in a way that they understand. Okay? So he says, he goes on here, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, right? So in other words, you got all these different forms of tongues going on here. And there comes in, and I mentioned this earlier, one who is uninformed or unbelievers, right? Will they not say that you're out of your mind? Like, what's the meaning of this? And you know, there are churches today that do that. They're just babbling on in the spirit, you know? And this is directly spoken against by the Apostle Paul here doing that. Not tongues itself. He's not speaking against that, obviously, but how you're using it, what you're doing with it. And he says, but check this out, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. So that's what prophesying can do as well, right? It can convince people of the Lord. It can convince people or convict people of their sin. Right, Because we're speaking in love. We're speaking the truth. We're speaking in love. We've got the word of God going forth in church. We've got the word of God being sung in church. We've got the word of God being talked about amongst each other in church. And it says, and thus the secrets of his hearts, his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. That's the power of the word of God, right? The, the word of God, first of all, rebukes, it corrects, it instructs in righteousness, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, 
is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And if we have the word of God being taught in the church and spoken and sung, you're going to see people coming to Christ if they truly are hearing the truth of the gospel. And that's the key point as well. You got to be truly teaching what the word of God says, not just your, your doctrine or the doctrines of your religion or the doctrines of your denomination or non-denomination, right? You need to know the word of God and teach the word of God, rightly divide the word of truth, and people need to hear it because people should be getting convicted in church. People should be wanting to repent when they come in and they hear the truth. And people should be being exhorted. People should be being edified. People should be being comforted. This is why we should be gathering. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, right? Has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. In other words, don't, don't come to church with your agenda. Hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make myself be seen. I'm going to make myself be heard. You know, and look what I can do and listen to what I have to say. You know, I've sat in prayer meetings with people where one person will just ramble on and dominate, 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 dominate. I mean, they'll go on for 20, 30 minutes and no one else is is being edified by this. They're just parading themselves. No one else is being exhorted. No one else is even being comforted in this this particular situation that I'm thinking of. Right? But we need to be doing things that edify others. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. So in other words, okay, if you're going to do this in the church setting, it's all good. Paul doesn't condemn it. He's actually condoning it. But look, have some order to it. Do it like this. Let one speak. Let there be two at the most or three, right? In other words, let this person do it, this person do it, this person do it. If there's an interpreter, great. But if there's no interpreter in verse 28, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and God. And again, it's not wrong. It's not that this guy did something wrong or it's not that this woman did something wrong or it was fake or not real. They were speaking to God, but there was just nobody there to interpret it. So then it was just something that, you know, God wasn't doing to edify someone else or exhort someone else. Okay? But Paul makes it clear again that it's between you and God when you're doing that if no one else is interpreting. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. In other words, there's a time to speak and there's a time to be quiet and let someone else speak. Maybe someone else can expound on what's being said. For 
For you can all prophesy, verse 31 says, one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. Do you see how the early church was operating? Today we have a situation where one pastor gets up and speaks and he speaks the whole time for 40 minutes. Maybe he'll let someone else come up and do an announcement or maybe someone else come up and pray over communion or whatever it may be, but that wasn't the way the early church was operating, okay? There were, there were people with spiritual gifts sitting in that congregation. They had edification to offer. They had exhortation to offer. They had comfort to offer. They had a testimony that might inspire someone else, a testimony of the goodness of God. That's what the church was doing. That's what the church was about. That's what the church should be about today. Verse 32, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So God's not bringing that confusion in. Things can be done decently and in order. You know, God's there, I mean, to see people edified and exhorted and comforted. That's why we should gather. It's not just about you and what you can bring and what you can take, right? You know, in other words, what you bring to, to make yourself look good. No, you should be sacrificing of yourself and saying, who can I edify at church today in this gathering? Again, whether it's in your home, whether it's a prayer meeting somewhere, whether it's just in your everyday life, who can you exhort? Who can you edify who can you comfort? Okay. Now look what Paul goes on to say here in verse 34. So he's about to address something else. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Or did the word of God originally come from you? Or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Okay, so what is the Apostle Paul saying here? I just read a lot of verses to you. Starting in verse 34 again, let the women keep silent in the churches and they're not permitted to speak, he says, uh, but let them be submissive. Where, where's this at? This is in the church gathering, okay? Paul's not saying this is the, when they're outside in the public. He's not saying when they're at home. He's just saying, Let's keep things in order here. So as we read this, we kind of have to think, well, wait a minute. What was Paul addressing here? Why is he bringing this up? He's talking about doing this stuff in order and, and how we should be exhorting one another and edifying one another and all of that kind of stuff. What was the issue that he was dealing with? Was it maybe that the women were doing a lot of this? 
The women were stepping up with their spiritual gifts and doing a lot of this and kind of running the show, so to speak. And, and maybe it was too much of a show and it was just happened to be in this church here in the city of Cornworth that the women were to blame for this, for what was going on. So he's addressing it and he's getting the men to step up and say, hey, come on, put some order here. I'm giving you the word of God, he tells them. I'm, I'm giving you the right commandments here. He says, these are the commandments of the Lord I'm giving to you. Put some things in order here. Now look, women have all kinds of spiritual gifts. Why not? Why wouldn't they? They're in Christ, right? If they're, and in Christ, we know there's neither male nor female. Doesn't matter to him. Doesn't matter to him whether someone is a man or a woman when it comes to operating in the spiritual gifts, walking with him, knowing him, and all of that kind of stuff. But he's not the author of confusion. And if they happen to be the ones that were causing the confusion here, he's saying, come on, get this in order. Don't permit this. Let this calm down. You take, you step up, you know, it's just the way it is. These are the commands of the Lord. You may be a woman out there listening to me teach this and, and you may be thinking, oh, how horrible that is and oh, how chauvinistic that is. Well, that's between you and God. That's between you and God. Because let me tell you something. What I know from the Bible about women and that is like I already said, doesn't matter in Christ. You have spiritual gifts. You have things you can offer. You have things you can do. You have, you have things that God designed you to do from the beginning of creation. You are beautiful in God's eyes just for who you are as a woman. But if you want to, you know, get your feathers ruffled as they say and, you know, or get all angry about what Paul's saying here. He's just trying to put some order in this church and there was chaos going on. And Paul's really putting it back on the men to say, come on, step it up here. You be the spiritual leader. Unfortunately, you look at many churches today, and, and I don't mean unfortunately that women are going, but the men aren't going. That's what's unfortunate. You see more women in church. That's not unfortunate. Praise be to God for them wanting to be spiritual, wanting them to be in Christ, wanting them or for them wanting to seek Christ, you know? Praise be to God for that. That's not what's unfortunate. What's unfortunate is their husband's not there. Or men are not there in general. So he says in verse 39, therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. So he's telling the church, he's telling the body, do not forbid to speak with tongues. But desire earnestly to prophesy, that is to edify, to exhort, to comfort others, okay? And have some order. That's the bottom line here in verse 40. 
Let all things be done decently and in order. You know, we don't need a million people speaking at once, a hundred people, 20 people, 10 people, two people, five people speaking at once. Take some order here. Let's get this under control. Okay, and men, step up and do something. So look, that's the word of God. We're reading it directly here. We're reading the scriptures directly. What do you do with the scriptures in your life? How do you apply them to your life? If you call yourself a believer in Jesus, a child of God, well, then you should be keeping the commands of the Lord and the commands of his apostles who, like in this case here, the apostle Paul, who was chosen directly by Jesus to go forth and to preach and to teach. And he spent his life doing that. He committed his life to Christ to do that. And we have his writings here so that we can learn. We can be mature. We can grow in understanding. We can grow in knowledge of the Lord. And know that the Lord has a perfect plan. And that he wants your life to be decent and he wants your life to be in order. When you gather in the church, he wants decency and order. When you go to work, he wants you to be decent and orderly. He wants you to edify and exhort others. So I exhort you today give your life to Christ first and foremost, to get into the word of God yourself, to know him, to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of him, and to serve him, to commit your way to him. God bless. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening, whichever the case may be. And we will see you next time.